Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. All right, let me call our attention to the book of Hebrews chapter number 13. When I was putting my notes together for this message, it's uh, been so long since I've preached in the book of Hebrews that the title up at where I put the, the, the scripture for my message and when in one of the notes, I mentioned James. So I had to go back and change my notes because this ain't James, this is Hebrews. But uh, looking forward to being able to deal with some things here in the book of Hebrews this evening. Jeffrey uh, is away today. He was preaching this morning and preaching again tonight at uh, Faith Baptist Church in Iron Station. And uh, we, we give him once, maybe twice a year that he can do that. And uh, other than that, he, <laughs> but, uh, he, he asked me about it and I told him, I said, you don't ever have to ask, but... Uh, I, I'm glad that he gets the opportunities to, to do that. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13, we're going to be considering verse number 20 and verse number 21 this evening. Uh, we'll pick up in verse number 17. We'll read down through the remaining portion. As I said this morning about the book of James, it doesn't take us long to understand. We're coming close to the end of the book of Hebrews also. And uh, just so everyone has an inkling of where we're headed, when we get through with the book of Hebrews, we will be going into the book of Philemon, the book of 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And we're going to preach a series of messages called the Postcards. Instead of them being letters, we're going to call them postcards. And uh, we're going to deal with those short letters that we find in the New Testament. Looking forward to that. Book of Hebrews chapter number 13, we'll pick up in verse number 17. The Bible said, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that might get, must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation 
For I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints that they of Italy salute you. Grace be to you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truths that we find in your word. We pray that you would help us as we look into your word that uh, we might see and understand what you have for us this evening. Lord, I do pray that you'd bless Jeffrey as he's there at faith. I pray that you'd undergird him and help him that his preaching there might be a help to the people of Faith Baptist Church. And Lord, we ask you that you would do in our hearts what you would have to be done, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that we stopped off last week at verse number 16, but verse number 17, 18, and 19 kind of go hand in hand with verse number 22, 23, 24, and 25. So that's the reason that we've kind of divided it up the way that we have. We're going to look at verse number 20 and verse number 21 this evening, and then Jeffrey next week will go back and pick up some of the other and uh, pull those two together. But I want us to consider this thought this evening. I want us to consider our peaceful provider. I want us to look at something that there is in these verses, there is a direction that's being pointed to. There's a direction that we're to set our gaze upon. Uh, I can't help to, and, and I, I guess sometimes as Jeffrey and I have conversations, we always kind of joke about, well, Seems like the same old thing. Well, the reason it does is because it's the same story. It's just being told by a different person. So if if we kind of get an overlap of what was dealt with this morning, it's because the same story's being told. And if it's not the if it's not pointing toward Christ, then we've missed what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are pointing us to Christ. And even more evidently this evening in these verses, he says in verse number 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, the great sheep, shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When he mentions here the God of peace that brought again from the dead the shepherd of the sheep, the writer of Hebrews having a desire for their prayers. In fact, he had asked them previously to pray for him. In verse number 18, he said, pray for us. 
for we trust that we, we have a good conscience. He's asking and beseeching them that they pray for him. But in doing so, he's offering a prayer on their behalf. And his offering a prayer on their behalf is pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. These Hebrew readers are in the same situation that the readers of James are in. They're dispersed. They're sent out. Uh, they have been sent from where they were comfortable in their own homes. They've been dispersed, and all of their disbursement is because of their belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a prayer here, and this prayer that he's praying is enclosing the whole mystery of divine grace. He mentions here in verse number 20, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to explain who the Lord Jesus is. But in this communication, he is giving us the entire mystery of the grace of God. He's telling us of this grace. He prays for the fruit and benefit to be applied to them that he had before instructed them in. He's telling them that he's wanting them to have that fruit. He's wanting them to, to see the fruit of what is being mentioned here in this. The, the, nature, uh, the nature and the form of the prayer itself with the expressions that he uses, he's pointing out several things. There, there are some things to consider in this prayer for the exposition of the words. There is the title that is assigned to God. It is suited unto the request that is to be made. He said in verse number 20, he said, Now the God of all peace. There's the title that's assigned to God. There is the work that is ascribed to him. It said the God of all peace. There is the title assigned to him, the work ascribed to him. There are the things that are prayed for. He tells them, he said, which brought again the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he said, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And then there's a doxology that you find at the end of this prayer. And it's a dox doxology of solemn closure of the whole of what's being done. So let's look at these things this evening, these four things. The title that it is assigned to God, the work ascribed to him, the things that are prayed for, and the doxology. The title that is assigned to God, or the name by which he is called in this passage of Scripture, is the God of peace. So he is frequently styled the same as a lot of other writers. He mentions, or at least with Paul, he mentions in Romans chapter 15, verse 33, Romans chapter 16, verse 20, 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23 talks about the God of peace. He said he is said to be the God of grace, of mercy, and of consolation. He is the God of peace. He, for he assumes these titles for himself, for the works. All things were brought into a state of disorder. What If we look at creation and we look at what's gone on in creation and we look at this passage of Scripture and we understand that he says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ the God of peace, he's being called that in the middle of our disorder. He's being called that in the middle of our disarray. He is that in the state of disorder and confusion that man has brought about. The enmity and the sin that's in the world, he is called the God of peace. For us who are still in the flesh, with us ourselves and only in ourselves, there is no peace. There's sin. There's failure. But he is the God of peace. There was no spring of peace that was left in the garden when man sinned. But now we find that he is called the God of peace. He alone is the author of all peace. There is no peace outside of Christ. You and I who know Christ understand that. There is no real lasting peace outside of Christ. And we can have peace even in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of things that are going on around us. We can have peace. Why? Because we know the God of all peace. It is in him alone that that exists. It does not exist outside of him. He purposed, he designed, and he prepared the eternal counsel. Look with me, if you will. In fact, turn back with me to the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. He designed all of this. He purposed, designed, and prepared this peace. And he prepared it in the, by the eternal counsel of his will. Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 8, 9, and 10. The Bible tells us, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, all things, what? In Christ, both which are in heaven or which are on earth, even in him. He is the originator of peace. He's the one that prepared peace. He's the one that 
that formed the eternal council that brought about peace. He is so in the communication of it. What is the communication of peace? Where is peace? Where do we find peace? How do we find peace with God? There is no other avenue of peace with God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other avenue. This, this was brought about by the communication of that peace, and the communication of that peace is the Lord Jesus Christ. All peace is a form of Christ. It's not only a form of Christ, it is a form from Christ. It is within Christ, and it is placed in our hearts because we have Christ living within us. We are in Christ, and he is in us. There is no peace outside of Christ. The apostle here fixes faith in prayer on the title of God, the God of all peace, because he prays for those things on our behalf. He tells us here in verse number 20, Now the God of all peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor. Amen. He is praying that we recognize these things in our life. The blood of the covenant with the communication of sanctifying grace is brought about in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way that we have peace except through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is evident that they have been tossed, the people that are reading this this text for this first time, the people that are reading this letter for the first time, they have been perplexed. They've been disquieted. They're, they're facing difficulties. They're facing hard times. They're facing various different doctrines. They're facing pleas about the law. They're, they're facing people that are saying, turn back, go back to uh, Judaism as you knew it. Go back to that way of, of obeying everything in the law. Go back. When we had that, we had our homes. When we had that, we, we had this and we had that. It, it's nothing, it's nowhere different than the Israelites were when they left Egypt. What did they say when they got out in the wilderness? Would to God that we had died in Egypt. We had food there. We had houses there. They could have said the same thing because they were disquieted. They were facing all of these things. But the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to encourage them that the God of all peace is with them, that he is the one that is directing them. If we're going to consider these things, we need to consider the person who is the object of this work? Who is the person that is the object 
of this work. By his relation unto us. He, we see here the person who is the object of this work. He is described, the Lord Jesus Christ. He, his relationship to us. What does it say in verse number 20? He said, now the God of all peace that brought up again from the dead. Look at what he said. Our Lord Jesus. The relationship that he is showing us in this prayer shows us, like I said, that relationship that we have with him. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not only showing us our relationship or his relationship to us, but he's showing us his office. What is his office? He is that great shepherd of the sheep. He is that great shepherd of the sheep. The work itself is toward him. He brought him again from the dead. The way by which the work was wrought, it was through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What covenant is he talking about? What covenant is, he, is the writer talking about? He's talking about that covenant that was made between God the Father and God the Son. That everlasting covenant. That covenant that was not going to be broken. That covenant that was not broken on either side. The covenant between God the Father and God the Son. We have the person who is the object of the work. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He does not say the great shepherd. He said that great shepherd. What is that great shepherd? It's that great shepherd that was promised of old. It's that great shepherd that was promised back in the Old Testament when he said he will come. It was that great shepherd that was promised in all of the prophets. What did he tell them? It, what, what did Jesus tell them when he was on the face of the earth? He said, you have with you the law and the prophets. What, what is it that we saw in every one of the minor prophets as we went through them? They continually always closed out that book with the promise of a king. The promise of a shepherd. The promise of one that was going to take care of all things. The person who is the object of the work is the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say that he is the great shepherd, but he is that great shepherd. Namely, that he is promised of old. Namely, that he was promised to the church. From eons ago, he was promised to the church. He was looked for. He was prayed for. What, what did he tell all of those that were the believers of the Old Testament? Looking to him. They were looking to that promise. What are you and I that are believers in the New Testament? He said, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we understand that, we know that he was looked for, he was prayed for. 
It is he who has now come and has saved his flock. He is said to be great on many accounts. He is great in his person. He is above all angels. He's above men. He's above, he's above all things that are eternal. He is the or that great shepherd. That great, he's great in power. He's great in perseverance. He's great in saving the flock. As we look at this and understand, he's great in his glory and in his exaltation. He's above the whole creation. He is in every way incomparable to anything else. There is no greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's great in his undertaking. He's great in his effectual accomplishments. He discharges his office well. There is no fault in him. Pilate said and well said, I find no fault in him. There is no fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd of the sheep. <laughs> he is not the shepherd of the entire world. He is the shepherd of his sheep. <laughs> the Bible tells us in John chapter number 10 that his sheep know him and they hear his voice. And they do obey him. They do follow him. It is his sheep. He is the shepherd of his sheep. The work of God is toward him that he may bring him again from the dead, that he may, that he may bring those sheep which the Father have given unto him, that he may bring them again to the Father. Christ, as the great shepherd of the sheep, was brought into the state of death by the sentence of the law. The law commanded that one must die. Christ died on our behalf. He did not sin. His death was not on his behalf. His death was on our behalf. His death was because the law commanded it, but the law commanded it because of us, because we were sinners. This covenant may be the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. It's the, it's the covenant about the redemption of the church by his undertaking it on our behalf. Wherefore is this is the covenant of grace. It's the covenant that God made with himself that he would provide a way. What is this covenant? It's a covenant of blood. What did Jesus tell us when he told us to take the communion? He said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Take as oft as you take it, do in remembrance of me. It's not just an affirmation, but it's calling us once again to understand 
what he did on our behalf. It's calling us again to, to not only understand, but to visualize what he did on our behalf. To visualize that his blood is what purchased us. His blood is what bought us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no, there's no requiting of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin outside of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called the blood of the covenant because it was the sacrifice to God on our behalf. It was God sacrificing to himself on our behalf. And it was confirmed in the covenant. The principal inquiry is how God is said to bring Jesus Christ from the dead. How does he bring Christ from the dead? Look at what he says in verse number 20. Now the God of all peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, how did he do it? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. How did Christ raise again? Through his blood. How do we raise again? Through his blood. How do we have forgiveness of sin? Through his blood. It is a blood covenant between God the Father and God the Son and as that blood was shed, it bought for us a resurrection. It, it bought for us a resurrection from the dead. What were we before we were saved? We are dead in our trespasses and sins. It was a resurrection for us. That is the reason that it is said that he was the firstborn among many brethren. He, his resurrection was our resurrection. His resurrection is what brought us to life. His resurrection is what took that which was dead and made it life. If there is spiritual life in us, it is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verse number 22, there are two things that he prays for on our behalf. Verse number 21, I'm sorry. Verse number 21, he said, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And again, all of this is done through Jesus Christ. There are two things that he prays for. He prays that God would perfect them in every good work to do his will. You and I have been perfected in Christ Jesus. Are we perfect? Not at all. Have we been perfected? Yes. We fail God, but in Christ we do not. Why? Because it's in Christ. Will we fail God throughout this life on this earth? Yes. But in Christ, Christ hath done all things 
satisfactory to the Father. And because of that, we are seen in Him. We're seen in His sufficiency. We're seen in His adequacy. Where I am inadequate, He is adequate. Where I am insufficient, He is sufficient. Where I fail, He does not fail. Where I sin, He does not sin. Where I am incomplete, He is complete. And because of my being in him, because of you being in him, we are found complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. God makes perfect every work to do his will. God uses our sinfulness many times to perfect his will. God uses our inadequacy to perfect his will. And the writer of Hebrews was praying. And as he prayed, he said, I pray that he make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Not our will, not what we're wanting, but he is praying that God make us perfect in his will. How does he do that? He does that in Jesus Christ. He tells us they want God would perfect them in every good work to do his will. He then he says that he would work in them that which is well pleasing in his sight. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. In this whole prayer, we have the method of the dispensation of grace laid out for us. What is the method of the dispensation of grace? When he's talking about the dispensation of grace, he's saying the fullness of the grace of God. The completeness of the grace of God we see laid out before us. We see the origin of it. It is in God himself. This grace, this dispensation of grace is in God himself. The preparation of this dispensation of grace in the way that is suitable unto the exaltation of the glory of God. Look at what he tells us in verse number 21. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. The nature of it. What is the nature of it? it? It is unto one principal part. It is to our sanctification. What is sanctification? It's our completeness. Where are we complete? We're complete in Christ. Within ourselves, we're incomplete. But in Christ, we are complete. Again, it is evident that this communication of grace that's being prayed for consists in the real efficiency of Christ, not in us. 
It's in Christ. It is here expressed by the words that denote only not only efficiency, but the real actual sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays that all may be granted unto them. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He hath continued his life under many weaknesses, temptations, sorrows, tribulations, and he did all this to bring about this work to the end. To him be glory and honor. You and I have nothing to glory in save the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I glory in nothing but the cross of Christ. Paul said, I count all things but dung. He said, all those things that I have, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, as far as that goes, I was, I was up here. But he said, I count all of that dung. What? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Then he goes on to say that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering, in the resurrection of him. He said, he goes on to say, he said, I've not yet, I've not yet apprehended for that which I've been apprehended. Paul basically says, I have not gotten a hold of why God got a hold of me. I've not yet apprehended. I've not yet attained. I want to know more about him. I want to understand more about him. Paul goes on to say, he said, for the prize of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He said, I, I, I forget those things that are past, but I look toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. What is that high calling of God? That we may be with him where he is. That's what the writer of Hebrews was praying. He was continuing to pray that as Christ went through his weaknesses, as he went through his temptations, as he went through his sorrows, as he went through his tribulations, as we go through those same things, where are we made perfect? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to him, be glory. Look at what he says in verse number 21. To whom be glory forever and ever. He has laid out, to be honest with you, as, as I studied for this, uh, this particular time and studied these, this passage of Scripture, I thought, how can we, how can we, see all that's in here? How can we recognize everything that's here? He's the great shepherd. We're the sheep. God, God is the one that is the one that brought peace to us. All of these things that we see in just these two verses, I promise you, you could take these two verses and spend eons of time on 
Because what you find in these two verses was God the Father that made a plan with God the Son that involved us who are sinners, that involved us who are imperfect, who took the imperfect and made it perfect within his Son. Explain all of that. We can't. We'd be here forever. We'll never understand it all. But we can glory in what he has done. It's not that we glory. We glory in his glory. It's all to the glory of God. And that's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Let's pray.